Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, March 21st, and it's officially spring. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're covering today. Russia and Ukraine reach a dangerous stalemate. Plus, how Democrats are tackling rising gas prices. But first, today's one big thing, the start of a historic Supreme Court confirmation hearing. Today's Supreme Court justice nominee, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, appears before the Senate Judiciary Committee for day one of her confirmation hearings. The 51-year-old judge has been nominated to fill the spot left vacant by retiring Justice Stephen Breyer. If confirmed, which seems pretty likely at this point, Jackson would be the first Black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. Here with what to expect over the next few days of questioning is The Washington Post's Robert Barnes. Hey, Robert, welcome to Axios Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Robert, there's so much happening outside of these hearings, the war in Ukraine, gas prices and inflation. Could that make for a speedier confirmation process? Well, what I think is really speeding up this confirmation process is Democrats are borrowing a page from the Republicans. They quickly moved through the confirmation for Amy Coney Barrett uh, just before the 2020 election. There's not a whole lot that Republicans can do to slow it down unless they raise some doubts about Judge Jackson uh, during the confirmation hearings this week. This is one case in which the Democrats don't really have to depend on cooperation from Republicans to get this done. One of those doubts might be her background as a public defender, which could be considered controversial by some. What's controversial about being a public defender and a nominee for the Supreme Court? Well, what's controversial is the clients you have, which are clients that you don't get to pick uh, but are chosen for you when you're a public defender. And so she has defended, for instance, someone detained at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. But, you know, it it goes both ways. I mean, she was chosen partly uh, because of her background as a public defender. Uh, President Biden said that that's something that he was looking for, and it's something that uh, the Supreme Court doesn't have right now. It has a couple of former prosecutors, but it doesn't have anyone who's represented someone in criminal matters as a defense lawyer and hasn't since Justice Thurgood Marshall left the bench. We started this conversation talking about the historic nature of her nomination and some of the ways her background is not traditional, but in many ways, does she represent what we expect to be the mold of a Supreme Court justice? Yeah, very much. She went to Ivy League schools, undergrad and Harvard Law School. She had a Supreme Court clerkship. She's worked in corporate law. She has been a judge with more experience than many of the other uh, justices had as a judge before they went on the Supreme Court. Robert, what are you going to be listening for today as the hearings start? I think I'll be listening for how deftly she handles some of the attacks from Republican senators. They'll ask very pointed questions about her background uh, as a public defender, about some of the decisions she's made. They'll try to find out her judicial philosophy, which is something that is uh, rather amorphous. She has said she doesn't really have a judicial philosophy per se, uh, that she applies the facts of the case to the law and the precedence of 
per circuit and of the Supreme Court. But you know, once you become a Supreme Court justice, you don't have to abide by those precedents anymore. You can change them if you think that they're very wrong, or you can at least attempt to do it. And when you say a judicial philosophy, how is that represented on the court right now? Well, the uh, the nominees from President Trump all in sort of one way or another said that they were originalists, that they viewed the Constitution as the way it was written, what the words meant uh, at the time. Usually more liberal justices and Democratic nominees say, no, you know, the Constitution is a very broadly written document and it evolves with our society. And, you know, you extrapolate from that into current day uh, problems and issues. No judge uh, before a uh, Senate committee wants to say, you know, anything goes with the Constitution. Uh, But there is some sort of middle ground there between the originalist and those who see it as what is called an evolving document. Robert Barnes reports on the Supreme Court for The Washington Post. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me. Also, we got word last night that 73-year-old Justice Clarence Thomas was admitted to the hospital Friday evening for what Supreme Court spokesperson Patricia McCabe said were, quote, flu-like symptoms. McCabe said Thomas's symptoms are subsiding and he expects to be released in a day or two. In 15 seconds, how Congress and the White House are trying to provide relief for Americans struggling with high gas prices. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Democrats are feeling the pressure to offer a policy response to record high gas prices Americans have been facing in recent weeks. One scoop we just learned about from Axios's Sophia Kai, the Biden administration even considered giving Americans prepaid debit cards for gas, but that was quickly shot down. That idea came up as part of a broader package to address gas prices, which is still in its early stages. Sophia's with us now. Hey, Sophia, we know this gas card proposal failed, but what were they thinking of with this? So they were thinking of finding a way to put money in consumers' pockets. This was ruled out because it would be expensive. It could worsen inflation and it could bog down the IRS at a time when they're busy during the filing season. So what's on the table now? So right now there's a few ideas that Congress is tossing around. One of them that has been proposed for at least a month now is a plan to suspend the federal gas tax. A second idea is raising taxes on oil companies to fund assistance programs for Americans. And then a third idea is to provide a rebate whenever gas prices get above $4. So what else is Congress trying to do here, Sophia? So Congress plans on bringing the heads of the largest oil companies uh, to testify before both the House and the Senate. And that could happen as soon as this week. Sophia Kai covers Congress for Axios. Thanks, Sophia. Thanks. As we enter day 26 of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it looks like both sides are settling into a stalemate. With Russian forces failing to seize major cities, experts are now warning this new phase could be more dangerous. I asked Axios World Editor Dave Lawler to explain why. 
In the early days of this war, things were very dynamic. You'll remember the Russians basically tried and failed to make a sprint for Kyiv. Uh, but in the south of the country in particular, they were taking quite a bit of territory day by day. But now, if you were to take a look at a map of who holds what in Ukraine and compare that to one week ago, the front lines have really not moved very much. There's a stalemate scenario taking hold, but that doesn't mean nothing's happening. Russia is continuing to bombard cities. If you look at what's happening in Mariupol, you get a sense of just how brutal this form of warfare can be for civilians. For the Russians, when you plan for a quick sprint and end up in this long slog, you're likely to be undersupplied and frankly demoralized. And U.S. officials say that's what's happening to Russia's pretty exhausted troops right now. They're going to need to be resupplied. They're going to need to be reinforced. For the Ukrainians, they fought far more effectively than anyone expected. But to keep that up, they're going to need these Western-supplied weapons to keep reaching their troops. Uh, we also don't know what kind of casualties they've taken and what position they're in to continue to hold out and even to counterattack in some places. So the next week or two are going to be critical to see if this stalemate holds or if things shift in either direction, but also to see whether this could help prod the two sides, in particular the Russians, to start thinking more seriously about making a peace deal. Dave Lawler is Axios's world editor. That's it for us today. You can always reach our team by emailing us at podcasts at axios.com, or you can reach out to me directly on Twitter. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.